Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast. In this episode, you will be listening to How to Master Your Emotions with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Get access to the Mental Mastery Program and other exclusive episodes by becoming a subscriber. Enjoy. So here's some simple instructions on how to handle change in your life. On your message machine, on your cell phone, you can put, I'm not available right now, but thank you for uh, caring enough to call. I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I don't return your call, you are one of the changes. <laughs> so knowledge is the precursor to experience. The more knowledge you have, the more prepared you are for an experience. All of the information that we talked about today is a language to help you understand exactly the process of transformation, and the process of creation. And so we packed a lot of content in the morning session, and I have a few more concepts to develop before we get into the practicum, okay? So, we all have had experiences in our life that have branded us emotionally. And when we're children, we have events that occur, we can't quite figure out why they occur, and with children, most of, uh, our attention when we're children are in our, is in our inner world, on how we feel. And so when we have events that take place in our life, they alter us emotionally, and we begin to pay attention to what caused it outside of us. And if we have caregivers and people that take care of us who are acting in, in um, conflicting ways, uh, it, it, it changes us biologically. And because we don't really have any analytical facilities to process what happens, it just kind of encodes into our subconscious system. You with me? So then we have these events that occur in our life, and um, we have these feelings, and, and what we do is we spend a lot of our life putting all of our attention on our outer world. We start to develop relationships with friends, we move to different places, we go to college, we go to high school, we buy things, we get married, get divorced, we get married again, you buy more things, you buy, you know, all of that stuff happens. And what occurs is that we spend a lot of our time creating an identity by identifying with things in our external world. You get the idea? And the external world is made up of people you know and things that you own and places that you've lived and places you're going to go and experiences that you've had. And so when you meet someone for the first time, you shake their hand and you say, what's your name? Kay, I'm Joe. Hey, where are you from? Austin. Austin. You were born and raised in Austin? No, I was born in Los Alamos. Los Alamos. I have friends in Los Alamos. So people. And then, um, were you at that wedding in Los Alamos two years ago? Say yes. yes. Oh, you were at the wedding. I was at that wedding too. And you own those things? I do. I own those things too. Really? Yeah. And you've had those experiences? I've had those experiences also. So if we share the same experiences, we share the same emotions and feelings. And if we share the same emotions and feelings, we share the same energy, because emotions are energy in motion. So we begin to bond by a field of information beyond space and time. And so now we are connected because we can relate with each other. And as long as you don't change, everything's going to be great. Right? <laughs> so then, 
we have this gap that begins to form. This is who we really are inside. This is how we really feel. And then this is the identity that we identify with the world. We create this persona, this image, this facade, based on all the things that we've experienced on our external reality. So after 12 or 14 years old, we start developing in our individuality, and we identify with all the things and people in our external environment to distract us from what? This feeling. So you don't have to pay attention to the feeling because you could put all of your attention on your external world and you can learn things and you can go to college and develop a career and get married and have kids. And all of that stuff works really good for a period of time. Then all of a sudden, somewhere in your life, in your late 30s and 40s, all of a sudden you can predict the feeling of every experience you're going to have in your life. You know how it's going to feel. When you get to this point where all of a sudden you can predict the feeling of everything that's going to happen in your life, you've stopped learning and you start feeling. And feelings become the barometer for you to evaluate your future. And if familiar feelings are a record of the past, then for the most part your past is your future. How many people are with me? So this is called the midlife crisis, right? And this is the moment the soul is trying to wake you up and it's saying to you, pay attention to this feeling. Come on, look at this feeling. And so all of a sudden now, people start looking at this feeling and all of the people and things and places and all of that stuff, spinning plates to keep all of this going, keeping this identity going, they start breaking their emotional agreements with everyone and everything. You know, we're bonded, we have an emotional agreement. You suffer, you talk about your problems, I suffer and talk about my problems. Hey, we can relate. And so all of a sudden now, you start breaking those contracts with everyone in your life. You start saying, you know what? I don't love you. You know why? Because I don't even know what love is. And those people that we hang out with, I'm done. They're a bunch of fakes. I don't want to talk. I don't want to fake it any longer. You start saying, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't, what's the meaning of life? Why am I doing all this? Why am I keeping all of this going? Because everything, when it's all over, this feeling won't go away. Because you've experienced everything that life has to offer. You've had relationships, you've had betrayal, you've had successes, you've had failures, you felt guilty, you felt like a failure, you felt like a success. You've had all those dynamics. And at the end, there's nothing left to experience. And all of a sudden now, this feeling won't go away. And this is the moment you start looking at this feeling and you start telling the truth about who you are. And then all of your friends that you have all these emotional bonds with, their feelings get hurt. I liked you better the other way. You hurt my feelings. So then what happens very naturally is that they all huddle together and they say, let's bring her to the doctor. And so they bring it to the doctor, and the doctor gives you some chemicals, and what happens? Return right back to the same identity. You with me? Now, other people, they're going to reinvent themselves. And so you know what they're going to do, right? They're going to create more possessions to reinvent themselves. They're going to buy the sports car, the boat. They're going to go on vacation to a new place. They're going to join the social club and meet new people that are important. And then they find out that those people, when they get to know them, have more problems than they do. 
But when the novelty of the new thing, the car, the boat, wears off, or you return back from your vacation and the experience is over, or you've met those people and you realize they're no different than you, all of a sudden this feeling comes back. How many people are with me? And so we begin to become possessed by our possessions. And we look for something outside of us to try to make this feeling go away inside of us. Now there's nothing wrong with that because that is an innate desire to want to change, to evolve. But we've just been conditioned into believing that we change by doing something outside of us. You still with me? So then, when the soul is asking you to pay attention to this feeling and you're not looking at it, the only thing you have left to do is try to create new experiences by buying new things or consuming new things so that you could create a new identity. But when the novelty wears off, this feeling comes back. And don't you know, advertising companies know this, and they say to you, wear your hair this way, drink this beer, you know, drive this car, you know, take this drug, and you'll look like this person, and you begin to identify with all of those things to try to make this feeling go away. You still with me? And so what most people do is they wait for crisis or trauma or loss or disease when they're finally no longer trying to keep this all going. They take their attention off that reality and it begins to crumble. And everybody thinks they're losing their mind. And they are. And so when we begin to look at these emotions, layer by layer, the bigger the gap, the bigger the emotional addiction. And people have these layers of emotions that keep them connected to the past. And as long as they're keeping their attention on their external reality, they no longer have to pay attention to how they feel inside of them. This is what they're hiding. They don't want anybody to know this is, there's emptiness or there's sadness or there's pain in there. They want to create the persona that everything's okay and everybody's doing the same thing. You with me? And so when you begin to look at those emotions and you begin to unmemorize those emotions and you begin to liberate energy, because every time you unmemorize an emotion, you're closing the gap between how you appear to the world and how you are inside of you. Every time you unmemorize an emotion, you liberate energy. And that is available energy for you to create a new destiny with. Now, you with me? But a lot of people, you know, when they get past the sports car and they get past the, the new wardrobe and they get past the affairs and all of that stuff and that feeling isn't going away, there's a whole nother level. And that's called addictions. So now the person starts to take drugs or they start to gamble or they start to shop too much or they overeat or they undereat or what else do they do? Video game, pornography, drink, all of that stuff. And it is because they are innately trying to make this feeling go away as quickly as possible. You with me? And so the moment they take the drug, the moment they drink, the moment they shop too much or whatever, all of a sudden the feeling goes away. And they begin to correlate that change in their feeling with that thing. They begin to attach to that thing outside of them, and now they become dependent on it. You with me? Because in a matter of seconds, the moment they feel differently inside of them, they'll pay attention to what caused it. But if they're shopping a lot, or they're gambling a lot, or they're video gaming a lot, there's a huge release 
in the pleasure centers of the brain of dopamine and norepinephrine. And that release of those pleasure chemicals begins to desensitize the receptor sites in the brain. So the next time they shop, if they spend $5,000, now they have to spend $7,000 to make the feeling go away because the receptor sites keep recalibrating to a higher and higher level and beginning to broaden the gap more and more. So it always takes a little bit more the next time. How many people are with me? Sounds like an addiction to me, doesn't it? So then... If you're gambling and you're spending $10,000 and you don't get the rush, you got to spend $15,000 because that's what it takes to stimulate those pleasure centers. And the pleasure centers begin to become hijacked to a higher and higher level. So you keep got to use more to make the feeling go away. How many people are with me? And so then, in the absence of that stimulation, we can't find pleasure from anything. Because now <clears throat> the body is reprogrammed to search for something outside of it to make it feel better. Now that is an innate desire to want to change. But we've just been conditioned into believing that it has to happen outside of us. How many people are with me? Yep. Now think about this. All the things you own and all the people you know and all the places you've lived and all the experiences you've had is defining this identity right here. And this is how you really feel inside of you. At the end of your life, when all of this goes away, what are you left with? This feeling right here. And you could be the smartest person, the most successful person, the most beautiful person, the most wealthy person, the most popular person, but if you haven't looked at this emotion, you haven't evolved in one lifetime. How many people are with me? Turn the person next to you and explain. Every single thing in your external environment, every person you know, everything that you own, every place that you sleep or you work or you eat, everything in your external environment you have an energetic connection to. Why? Because every person, thing, place in your external environment, you keep recreating the same experience, which means it produces the same emotion. And emotion is energy, so you begin to bond to everyone and everything in your life. How many people understand? So then if you're living by the same emotion every single day, your energy is the same every single day. Would you agree? And as long as your energy is the same every single day, you're bound to your present past reality in a field of information beyond space and time. You with me? Poke the person next to you. Come on. So here's an, here's an oxygen atom. And I'll do it better. Here's an oxygen atom. And here's the field of energy around it. Here's another oxygen atom. Here's a field of energy around it. They're sharing information. They're bound in the quantum field beyond space and time. How many people understand that? So people say they're sharing electrons, but what they're really sharing is information and energy. That's what forms a molecule. You got it? So then, let's just take that out and just do this. <laughs> or better yet, let's do this. So then, if you're a victim, and this person is a victim, then you're sharing information because you're sharing energy. How many people understand? So then, here you are in your life now. Here's the gap 
between how you appear to the world, how you really feel inside. The ideal for the world, the ideal for the self. What you're projecting in the outer world and how you really feel inside, what you're hiding. And so you don't want anybody to know that, every, that you feel this way, but everybody's doing the same thing. So, you know, you talk about the things you own and the place you live and the, your problems and all that stuff because you don't want anybody to know about this. And everybody's doing the same thing. And so as long as you're living by these emotions, layer by layer, the bigger the gap, the bigger the addiction. You understand? And when you begin to look at these emotions and you begin to unmemorize them and you begin to look at how you think when you feel that way, how you act and what choices you make driven by that emotion, now you're beginning to unmemorize those emotions. And as you begin to unmemorize those emotions, layer by layer, you close the gap between how you appear to the world and how you really feel inside. And ultimately, every time you unmemorize an emotion, you liberate energy. And now you go from particle to wave, and you have available energy to design a new destiny. You go from matter to energy. How many people understand? And when how you appear is who you are, it takes no energy to be you. How many people are with me also? Yeah. And as you begin to unmemorize those emotions, you're moving, removing the veils and the masks that block the flow of the divine in you. And it can begin to leak out and sneak out and move through you, move in you and move all around you. And its nature becomes your nature. Its mind becomes your mind. Its will becomes your will. So then, here's what, how you appear to the world and here's how you really feel inside. And until we start looking at these emotions, looking within and unmemorizing them, we'll keep using everything in our external environment to re-identify, to create a new identity. You'll buy the thing, you'll, you'll, you'll meet the new people, you'll go to the new places, and, but when the novelty wears off, this feeling keeps coming back. You with me? And if not, that doesn't make it go away, then you start relying on substances, or shopping, or gambling, or video gaming, or overeating, or undereating, to try to make this feeling go away. And the moment you correlate that thing that you're doing with the absence of this feeling, or making this feeling go away, you begin to become dependent on that thing. But if the rush of chemistry, the shopping or the drug or the gambling or whatever produces a rush of pleasure chemicals in the brain, you keep reprogramming or recalibrating the pleasure centers to a higher level so you need a little bit more the next time and a little bit more the next time. And it sounds like an addiction to me, doesn't it? So we could say behind every single addiction, substance addiction, there's an emotional addiction. And people are doing their best to try to make it go away. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we've been hypnotized into believing that change happens outside of us instead of inside of us. How many people are with me? So then if you're then unmemorizing these emotions, layer by layer, you are overcoming your emotional self and you are freeing your body from the chains of the past, aren't you? And every time you unmemorize one of those survival emotions, you're going from particle to wave, matter to energy. And you're liberating energy. And now you have available energy to begin to command the new future. How many people are with me? Now, remember this. 
So every person, everything, every place, every, everything in your external environment, you are bound to in a field beyond space and time. So as long as you're living by the same emotion every day, you're living by the same energy, your past, present reality is staying the same because you're bound to everything in your life because you keep re-experiencing it to produce the same emotion. And the same emotion then keeps you connected to every person, everything in your life. How many people are with me? Yes. Come on, poke the person next to you. You with me? Yes. So then think about this. Come on, geniuses. As you begin to unmemorize those emotions... And you're sitting in your meditation and your body is raging on you. And it's impatient and it's frustrated and it's guilty and it's judging you. And you're waiting for it to finish. To run through all of those programs and you're waiting and you're observing it and you're saying, that's your best? Come on. Let's keep going. Let's cross the river. And when you're done, I'm going to recondition you to a new mind. And you're observing your thoughts and you're noticing your propensities and behaviors, and you're looking at those emotions, but you are not investing your energy in it. You're observing it. And as you begin to overcome yourself and liberate yourself energetically from that emotion, don't you know that you are breaking the bonds to everyone and everything in your known life? Think about it. As you overcome the emotion, you snap the energy to the people and conditions in your life that keep it the same. And now you're calling energy back to you, and you now have more available energy, and you as the quantum observer are no longer attached to your past, present reality because you are no longer emotionally bound to it in a field of energy beyond space and time. How many people understand? Turn the person next to you and explain. Come on. Geniuses, that bounced off some of you. Some of it, it bounced off you. So, step by step now. If you are interacting in, with the same people in the same way, and you are both relating because you're both victims and suffering, then you share the same emotions, you share the same energy. Would you agree? And just like two atoms that are bound together in a field beyond space and time, you are bound energetically to every person, everything, your computer, your bed, your car, every place where you work, where you sleep, all of that stuff, the things you own, you have an energetic signature connecting you to it because you keep experiencing everything in your reality and the end product of the experience is an emotion. You with me? Yep. So you smear your energy all over your present reality. Yes? yes? And you are bound to everything because you're interacting with it for the emotional experience. Yes? So everything in your known reality you are bound to in a field of information beyond space and time just like two atoms sharing information. You with me? Yes? So then when you sit down and you do your meditation and you are overcoming your emotional body your emotional self, and you are freeing your body from the chains of the past, and the body is surrendering into the present moment. It's acquiescing to a new mind. 
As you do that, and you overcome that emotional self, you are breaking the bonds to all the people and places and conditions in your life that keep reaffirming the same reality. And you are calling energy back to you, and that's available energy for you to design a new destiny with. How many people understand that now? So then, let's talk about the antithesis of that. Let's say you don't overcome your emotional self, okay? And you have an addiction to an emotion, and you're using all the people in your life to reaffirm your emotional addiction so that you can feel something, that rush of energy. You with me? Come on, you with me? So then, <clears throat> what's your definition of an addiction? Isn't it something you can't stop? So if you were angry or sad or frustrated, and I said, oh, I know you're really angry, but listen, what I really want you to do is just, just stop right now. Just stop. What would you say to me? You'd say, I can tell you all the reasons why I am this way. Yes? So whether it's valid, justified, or not, if you can't stop it, it means you're addicted to it. Would you agree? Come on, give me a nod. Yes? So then, if you're addicted to chocolate, let's use this as an example. I'm making this up. Come on, you guys. People are sweating over there. If you're addicted to chocolate, right? And I slid a chocolate cake in front of you, would you agree that the moment you saw the chocolate cake by association, you would hear a little voice in your head saying what? Oh, come on, just take one bite. Everybody else is eating it. Why don't you start tomorrow? Tomorrow's a better day. You know, all of that, you know, this doesn't feel good. And you, you, that's the body as the mind trying to unseat you because an addiction is when the body is the mind. You with me? So then if you broke your addiction to chocolate or to sugar or whatever, I'm using this as an example, and I slid the cake in front of you, would you agree that you could eat it or not eat it? Yeah. You'd have no tug, right? right? But when you are addicted to it, the moment you see it by association, your body physiologically, chemically, subconsciously, autonomically, automatically returns to the old state. You listening? So Pavlov takes a volunteer dog and straps him to a table, right? And then he feeds him a delicious meal and rings him a bell. Rings a bell, right? And if he keeps doing that enough times, he could ring the bell and the dog will what? Autonomically, automatically, subconsciously, the moment it hears the bell, uses its senses, the body physiologically returns into a state of being. Would you agree? So then if you're addicted to an emotion and you haven't overcome your emotional self, don't you know that the moment you return back into your life and you see the person that you use to reaffirm your addiction, the moment you see them or hear them, your body is going to autonomically, automatically, physiologically, chemically return back to the old self without the conscious mind being involved. And that's why it's so hard to change. How many people understand? Break your addiction to that emotion and unmemorize it, then you are no longer bound to your same present reality. When you break those bonds to everyone and everything in your life, you are opening up those particles to move back into waves of possibility and your life will begin to seem disorderly. 
Because now it's time to command matter and observe a new future and cause them to collapse into new patterns of information. How many people understand that? So then, you break your addiction to that emotion and you walk back into your life and you could face your greatest enemy, your biggest adversary, and you will not return back to the old self because you overcame yourself at the beginning of your day. How many people understand? And now you no longer knee-jerk in the same way because that emotion no longer is keeping you physiologically, unconsciously returning back to the same self. How many people understand that? And I can tell you from observing this over and over again in the students in our advancing group, they love their enemies now. Why? Because they see themselves in them, who they used to be. And they totally understand them, but they're on into a future. They don't even take it personally any longer because they broke the energetic bond. How many people understand? And that's called freedom. Turn to the person next to you and explain. So then, how many people here understand that when you overcome those survival emotions of anger and aggression and hostility and judgment and fear and anxiety and suffering and guilt and shame, you are liberating energy out of your body. How many people understand that? You're going from particle to wave, from matter to energy. How many people understand that? And how many people understand that when you liberate your body from the chains of the past, now you are creating more energy in your field to design a new destiny? How many people understand that? Now you can command matter because you have available energy. You're more energy and less matter. You got that, yes? And how many people understand that because you are connected to everyone and everything in a field of information beyond space and time, energetically because you share the same emotions, or you've interacted with your present past reality every single day in the same way to produce the same emotion, to produce the same energy, then your energy is keeping you bound to your present reality and nothing's changing because your energy is the same as the day before and you're bound to everyone and everything and every experience in your past present reality because you are energetically bound to it. How many people understand that? So then if you break free from that emotion, what does it take for two atoms that are bound together to form a molecule to separate? What does it take? It takes energy. Energy has to break the bonds. So as you begin to break the bond by changing your energy, you are breaking your bonds to everything, every person in your present reality, and you're causing your reality that's frozen into the same patterns of information called particles to turn back into possibility. How many people understand that? And now your life moves into a state of disorderliness, which is normal. And now it's the time to start creating because now if you use that energy and you direct it, now you can use it with a clear intention as the handmaiden to begin to observe a new future. How many people understand that? And people are doing this around the world and they're understanding then that the moment that the emotion no longer lives in them, they're no longer bound to their present reality. They're in the future. And they can walk back into their life and they are not seduced emotionally by the problems and conditions in their life because they overcame themselves to no longer be bound by it. And they don't physiologically 
autonomically, automatically, subconsciously, like Pavlov's dog, by association, return back to the old state of being because that emotion no longer exists in them because they're no longer addicted to it. How many people understand? And people then, all of a sudden, are free to create a new future. Why? Because they've overcome the emotion and they're no longer bound to the past. And the soul wakes up and it begins to give them ideas and insights about possibilities that they would have never considered before because they can't consider it because they're connected to their past, present life. How many people understand? Turn the person next to you one more time and explain that again. Come on. So then, if you can understand that when you unmemorize emotions, that you are freeing your body from the chains of the past and you are breaking your emotional bonds to your past, present reality and liberating energy, you are creating enough energy to design a new future. Then you should be creating a new future every time you're unmemorizing the past. Wouldn't you agree? So the process of change then requires unlearning and relearning. You've got to break the habit of the old self, but you better reinvent the new self. You better prune synaptic connections and sprout new ones. You better unmemorize emotions that's stored in the body and then recondition the body to a new mind or to a new emotion. You better stop signaling the same genes in the same way and resignal new genes in new ways. Would you agree? Deprogram and reprogram. So most people, when they're in the process of change, they stop being their old selves or they're trying to create a new self, but they're not going through the complete model. So then if you're going to make changes in your life, and you've all done this, have you ever noticed when you decided to make a change, you didn't want to see anybody? You didn't want to go anywhere and do anything? You wanted to kind of sit down and start thinking about what you no longer were going to do? And you begin to see yourself no longer making those same choices, what thoughts you're not going to let slip by your awareness that's saying, go ahead, you can start tomorrow, or you know, this is a good reason to be this way. And you start selecting those particular thoughts, behaviors, choices, and experiences that lead to the same emotions. And you say, I'm going to keep my energy up the entire day today, and I'm not going to go unconscious, and I'm going to make a decision, and my body's going to begin to respond to a new mind. But then after you do that, you start thinking about how you're going to be in your day, what choices you are going to make, what things you are going to do, how it's going to feel, and you begin to hold on to that vision, and you begin to inspire your body and give it a sampling of the future. That's the meditation that we do. It's that simple. Now, before we take a break, poke the person next to you, please. So let's talk about brain waves. You know, you have different brain waves that take place in your brain. And when you are listening to me right now, your brain is in what's called beta brainwave patterns. You listening? And <clears throat> your function of your brain is to create meaning between your outer world and your inner world. That's one of the main functions, to create coherence between what's going on out there and what's going on in here. And when you are paying attention to your outer world, when you are aware of your body and when you are living in linear time, your thinking neocortex has to integrate all of this information that the senses are picking up. You with me? So it's feeling your butt on the chair, it's feeling your bladder's a little bit full, you're feeling a little pain in your back, you know, you're a little hungry, you're a little, whatever, whatever's going on with you. 
your brain is trying to create meaning between all of this sensory information. And because there's a lot of information coming in, your brain waves tend to be a little bit fast. And because they're fast, you experience a level of awareness and you believe that the outer world is more real than the inner world. And that's what beta is. You with me? So you have three levels of beta. You have low-level beta. Most of you are listening to me right now in low-level beta. You're relaxed and you're paying attention. But if I said to you, oh, I forgot to tell you guys, we're having a 175-question uh, test at 6 o'clock tonight. And uh, you can't eat dinner, you can't leave unless you pass the test. Your brain would perk up a little bit and you'd start paying attention a little bit more and you would move into what's called mid-range beta. You got it? You'd like taking the light bulb and making it a little bit brighter, a little more energy to your brain and you'd pay more attention to your outer world. Yes? Now, when you are freaked out and emotional and angry and hostile and frustrated and fearful, you go into a very high level of beta. And that high beta is when the brain gets very disorganized because you're living in emergency mode all the time and it's like driving your sports car in first gear on the freeway. You get the idea? Now, when you close your eyes and you eliminate the external environment and you're no longer picking up data from your outer world and you're no longer hearing sounds and you're no longer moving your body and feeling things through experience, there's less stimulation to your brain and so your brain waves naturally do what? Slow down. And when they slow down, your brain starts to go into what's called alpha. You get the idea? Come on. So in alpha, the inner world starts getting more real than the outer world. It's the imaginary world. You got it? Now, you naturally go between beta and alpha all day long. You got it? So I'm watching all of you, and this is how I know whether you're paying attention and you're getting this information. I develop a concept or an idea, you're all listening in beta, and then you go like this. <laughs> well, what are you doing? You're making the inner picture more real than the outer world. And I disappear for a second, and the moment you attend to that thought, your brain is consolidating that information neurologically. You got it? So then, in alpha then, you have to pause for a moment for the brain to begin to consolidate information, and that's how you learn. So then you would agree that if you're living in high beta all the time, no new information can come into your nervous system because it's not a time to learn. It's a time for emergency. It's time to react. It's not time to trust and grow. It's a time to react and deal with the body. So in high beta then, the senses become heightened and you're very concerned with the outer world. You got it? Yeah. Now, if you close your eyes and you go into alpha and you begin to allow your body to fall asleep a little bit but you keep your mind awake, that's called theta. So theta is when your body is asleep and your mind is awake. So think about this. If you've conditioned your body to be the mind and now your body is asleep, you would have to agree it's no longer the mind. Right? It's out of the way, and that's when instantaneous things happen. And then the last level is called delta, and that's deep sleep. That's called uh, restorative sleep. So now, when you wake up in the morning, the receptors in the back of your eye are picking up light. And as the receptors in the back of your eye are picking up light, the light that's being transmitted through the optic nerve to the back of the brain causes the pineal gland to make a neurochemical called serotonin. It's a neurotransmitter. 
And serotonin is what wakes the brain up and gets you going and begins to produce beta brainwave patterns. You got it? Now, when it starts to get dark and there's less light that's being picked up by your optic nerve, because there's less light coming in, all of a sudden the pineal gland gets the signal and takes serotonin and turns it into melatonin. melatonin. You got it? So Sarah gets you up in the morning, and Mel puts you to bed at night. You got it? So when you wake up in the morning, your brain naturally goes from beta to theta to alpha to beta. You got it? And when you go to bed at night, you naturally go from beta to alpha to theta to delta. So we could say then, there are two times in your day that the door to the subconscious mind opens up. When you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. How many people understand that? Turn the person next to you and explain beta, alpha, theta, delta. Come on. So, you know, there was research done in the 1960s by a Princeton researcher, and he was very interested to see if people could change their brainwave patterns. And so he hooked himself up to these sophisticated machines, biofeedback machines, and he had a, a screen there, a television screen, and he spent 12 days in a row trying to change his brainwaves from beta to alpha. And so he chanted, he did alternate nostril breathing, he did Jacobson progressive relaxation techniques, he did all of these different things to change his uh, brainwaves, and guess what happened? Nothing. On the 13th day, his brain was still hooked up to the machine, and finally he said, forget it. You can't change your brainwaves. And the moment he surrendered, guess what happened? He went right into alpha. And all of a sudden, that began the research. Now, when you're living by the hormones of stress, the chemicals of stress do something very unusual to the brain. When you sustain a high level of emergency for an extended period of time, the chemicals cause the brain to begin to compartmentalize. In other words, when you're under stress, you become selfish. It's all about the self. Your brain all of a sudden gets very selfish. Different communities of neurons are no longer communicating with other communities. Neighborhoods are no longer joining and sharing information. The brain becomes very divided. It becomes compartmentalized. And in high beta then, for an extended period of time, if you were to look at the brainwave patterns, the brainwave patterns on an electroencephalogram create very incoherent messages. Now, incoherence is like a group of drummers with no rhythm all playing at the same time. That's disorder. You understand that, yes? And that disintegrated message, because the brain is now firing asynchronously, sends a very disintegrated signal down the central nervous system, which sends a very, very disintegrated signal to your immune system, to your cardiovascular system to your digestive system, and all of a sudden, your nervous system begins to cause other systems to move out of balance because your central nervous system controls and coordinates all other systems. How many people are with me? So the immune system says, I, I don't know how to make white blood cells because I, I can't get the signal. It's static. It's like a, a radio dial that's got static on it. Your digestive system can't get the timing down between the, the acids in the stomach and the acids in the small intestine, and all of a sudden, it moves out of balance. And the cardio, cardiovascular system is thinking that there's a predator around the corner all the time, so it's always in that emergency state. 
and it starts moving out of balance. How many people are with me? So living in high emergency for an extended period of time causes a very, very incoherent message in the brain. And incoherence looks like this. See, everything's out of order. Now, that incoherent signal you can actually see on a functional brain scan, on an electroencephalograph, and people, of course, that are living in an incoherent state begin to become incoherent. When your brain functions incoherently, you function incoherently. When your brain functions out of balance, you function out of balance. And because the hormones of stress cause us to become very narrow-focused, very object-focused, we're focusing on the particle instead of on the wave, and we're defining realities by our senses, then for the most part, then, the more you begin to focus on your problems, the more you drive your brain further into that high beta state and more incoherent. You with me? And then if you start analyzing your problems within the survival emotions, you drive your brain further where? Into beta and more away from the operating system where true change takes place. So when they started doing the research, what they found is that when you begin to open your focus, and you begin to come, become aware of the space around you in space, and you can sense the space that your body is in space, as you begin to sense that space and you open your focus, guess what happens? All of a sudden, you very naturally move into alpha because you're not thinking, you're analyzing, you're sensing. And brain waves begin to slow down. But not only do they slow down, but they slow down and get highly synchronized. They get very orderly. They begin to, all of a sudden, different compartments of the brain start to communicate with each other. And all of a sudden, as they start to communicate with each other, what syncs together links together. And all of a sudden, you start feeling more like yourself than you had in a long time because you're no longer functioning as a person with a multiple personality disorder all at once. <laughs> the brain gets highly organized. And that organized signal, that coherent signal, sends a very organized message to your immune system, to your cardiovascular system, and to your digestive system. And all of a sudden, the body comes back online. And so it would be like all of a sudden, a group of drummers showed up and started hitting a beat. And while everybody was bouncing all over the place, drumming, all of a sudden that beat would get louder and everybody would start beating with the drummers and the brain gets very organized in the same exact way. How many people understand? So then, <clears throat> most of the time, people who live in a state of coherence and their brain is in a state of balance, for the most part, they can begin to function in their world very, very effectively. When the brain becomes very incoherent, then all of a sudden you're obsessing and neurotic and emotional about things in your life because your brain is out of balance. You with me? Now, this is how you and I have been taught to focus, to pay attention. Watch the car. Pay attention to your shoes untied. Watch the stairs. That was an emergency focus. And that's, we tend to focus in, like a, a convergent focus on one object or one thing in emergency. But that's only one kind of focus. As you begin to open your focus and you become aware of the space around you in space and the space that your body occupies in space, the brain naturally recalibrates. It begins to get very orderly. And I can tell you from experience, I have left my body many, many times. 
And every time I leave my body, my body, I'm looking at it on the bed, and it is laughing, and it's saying, thank God he's out of the way. <laughs> and I'm watching it laugh, because it's free from me. It's joyful. Like, oh, my God. That level of coherence, then, that's being created is when you get beyond yourself. How many people understand? Now, I studied the brains of people in our workshops over and over again, and I now know that when you open your focus and you become pure consciousness, that's when the brain gets highly organized. If you are analyzing your life within the emotion that's coursing through your circulatory system, you are only driving the brain further into imbalance. How many people understand? Now, can we have the screen up for a second? And lower the lights, please. So, <clears throat> we will do a meditation after the break, and we will do a small meditation to get you familiar with opening your focus. It won't be long, and most of you will lose track of time and space. That's exactly what I want to have happen. Now, so take a look at this chart here. For the first two years of life, the, uh, a baby's brain is uh, functioning in delta, which is about 0.5 to 4 cycles per second. Between the ages of 2 and 6, the brainwave patterns pick up into theta, between 4 and 8 cycles per second. Now, we could say then, if beta is your conscious awareness in your external world, then for the first six years of a baby's life, they are completely in their subconscious mind. And all of the information that's coming in is coming in unencoded because they have no analytical facilities to be able to process it. So whatever the child hears or experiences takes as reality. Big boys don't cry. Little girls should be seen and not heard. You're not very good at math. You get hit and then you're told that you're loved. You just need to be raised by an Italian to understand that one. <clears throat> so the first six years of your life, all of the attention is on the inner world because that's where the child's brainwave patterns are. You understand? Now, between the ages of six and 12, a child's brainwave patterns begin to pick up. And the child now is beginning to develop some analytical facilities because it's beginning to learn the laws of the land. And so, as the child begins to put its finger, her finger in the light socket and she begins to experience pain, all of a sudden she notices a change in her internal chemistry and she opens her eyes through her senses and she looks to see what it is. And as she continues to put her attention on her outer environment, her brain waves begin to change. How many people understand? Yes? So then, as the child's brain waves begin to change and it moves into alpha, they begin to develop their analytical facilities, and the child in alpha is in the imaginary world. And that's why you can tell a child at seven or nine years old to act like a rabbit, and then it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you're stepping over her because she's still a rabbit. You tell an adult, act like a rabbit, and they're like, okay, what do we do now? Because <laughs> they're in beta. Do you understand? So, somewhere between the ages of 6 and 12, that analytical mind begins to form, and this is where children begin to figure it out. 
they start to realize, uh, you know, your, their parents aren't as cool as they think they are. You know, and this is where they begin to figure out that there may not be a Santa Claus. You know, I mean, my, my oldest son is 25 years old. He's got a master's in engineering. He's very mathematical. From the time he was little, he was always calculating stuff. And I was sitting on the port swing by the garden, and he came out, and he, he said, uh, can I talk to you? He was like nine years old. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, um, I've been thinking a lot about Santa Claus. And um, I know there's 6.2 billion people on the planet. And I know that everybody's not in the Santa, you know, but, um, well, uh, let's just say a third of those people are Christians. So, you know, that's 2 billion people. And when I do the math, there's no way that Santa can get to every single house in that amount of time. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh, well, Jace, you forgot that many families have multiple siblings. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's more than one kid in a family. He said, well, how many children on the average are in one family? I said, 2.2. .2. He said, give me a minute. He went inside, and he came back out, and he said, hey, um, it's still not going to work. <laughs> he said, there's no way that Santa could actually cover all, you know, cover all these homes, and given the amount of places he has to go, five minutes per home, blah, blah. I knew I wasn't going to pull the magic card on him because he was figuring this out. So I said, Chase, oh my God, you forgot one of the most important things. He's like, what's that? I said, well, the earth rotates. He said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, get a flashlight and get a baseball. So we got a baseball and a flashlight, and I said, look, I shine the flashlight on the, on the baseball, and I said, you see, night is just shade. That's all it is. It's just big shade. And I said, and the earth is rotating, and if Santa's going in the direction of the rotation, he's got more time. <laughs> and he looked at me for like about a minute without saying anything, and then he said, how fast does the earth rotate? And I said, 26,000 miles an hour. He said, there's no Santa Claus. I said, don't you tell your brother and sister. <laughs> so children begin to figure it out. Because they begin to develop their analytical facilities. You understand what an analytical facility is? You have to learn the laws of the land, and you have to analyze to determine your past against your future. You got it? And that's how you learn. Now. Above the ages of 12, most people spend the majority of their time in low-level beta. If you're sitting around and reading a book, you're in low-level beta. If you've got to get tested on that book, you're going to move into mid-range beta. Now, check this out. Look what happens when you're in high-range beta. It is twice as high as mid-range beta. Now the brain is in high-arousal state. It's in hyperactivity. It is imbalanced. It's incoherent. And no information can come into the nervous system that isn't equal to that emotion. In other words, it's not a time to pause and consolidate information. It's time to run. You get the idea? So then, people who live in this high beta state, you know, they take drugs and they drink alcohol to do what? To sedate their body to bring themselves down into a lower level of beta. So the whole purpose, then, is to go into these lower levels 
in, in alpha and theta, that's when you enter into the operating system of the subconscious. That's when you begin to reprogram. So then, if you're emotional, and I saw this in our research, and you are frustrated and impatient, what level of brainwave patterns are you in? Pi beta. And if you're sitting there frustrated and emotional, and you're analyzing your life and trying to figure out the reason why you're frustrated and, and uh, impatient, you're driving your brain further into high beta. And you will not listen or believe in anything that isn't equal to that emotion. In other words, you'll auto-suggest to yourself thoughts equal to that emotion. Which means you won't be open to thoughts that aren't equal to that emotion. How many people understand? Yes? So then, let's say that the circle represents your mind. And when you're born, you're totally subconscious mind. And you learn by these positive and negative identifications and associations that give rise to habits and behaviors. Now, a good example of a positive identification is when you're hungry as a child and you cry out and you get fed. You with me? You learn to associate crying out with being fed. So every time you're hungry, you cry out and you get fed. A good example of a negative association is you put your finger on the hot stove and you learn to associate the pain that you're experiencing in your inner environment with that white thing in the corner. And you learn to stay away from it. So these positive and negative identifications give rise to what we call habits and behaviors. You with me? And because the first six years of life, the brain is in theta and delta, for the most part, we're born in our subconscious mind. You got that, yes? Now, somewhere between the ages of six and nine, we begin to develop the analytical mind. Now, the analytical mind completely fuses off at around nine years old or 10 years old, and it creates a filter between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Now, your conscious mind is 5% of your total mind, and it's made up of things like logic and reasoning, which gives rise to your creative abilities, your will, your faith, but your subconscious mind is made up of all these positive and negative identifications. It's 95% of who you are. We've been saying that all along. That gives rise to these habits and behaviors. You with me? Now, the analytical mind is always working. Most people are always evaluating good from bad, right from wrong, positive from negative, past from future, male from female. And it is an extension of the ego. You with me? Come on, you with me? So then, your ego then, when it's in check, does, does something very important and very valuable. It takes care of the body. So if you're hiking along a cliff, and it's a, a thousand foot drop, your ego will say, step back away from the cliff. If you're at a bonfire, and there's sparks coming off the fire, and the wind is blowing a certain direction, your ego will naturally move you out of the way. It takes care of the body. You got it? If you're walking down the street and the cars are coming towards you and it's wet and slippery, you'll cross the street. That's your ego telling you to take care of your body. So when your ego is in check, what it does very well is it protects the body for the greater good. But when it's driven by the hormones of stress, all of a sudden the ego gets way out of balance and all of a sudden the hormones begin to endorse the ego and it becomes overly analytical. And when it gets overly analytical, that's when it goes into high beta. How many people understand? 
And now we're analyzing our life, and the more we analyze our life, the more we move the brain out of balance and more away from the operating system. You get the idea? So what's the whole purpose of meditation? The whole purpose of meditation is to get beyond the analytical mind and begin to change these negative programs into more positive ones. So then as you begin to move beyond your analytical mind, if you're analyzing pretty much in your meditation, you're doing what you're normally doing with your eyes open. Only you're doing it with your eyes closed. You understand? And if you're frustrated and impatient, and you're, it's driving you into that state, more than likely you're in high beta, and you haven't entered into the operating system where alpha and theta and true change takes place. You with me? So then we move from beta to what? And alpha to? And from theta to? And so we could say then that beta and alpha represent the conscious mind, and alpha, theta, and delta represent the subconscious mind. Turn the person next to you and explain, and then we'll take a break. <laughs> so then, would you agree then? Would you agree that if you are staying in emergency mode and your brain is in a state of incoherence, the more you analyze your life, the more you're creating incoherent patterns? I saw this when I watched people try to change in our workshops. And when they opened their focus and they got beyond their body, they got beyond their face, their hairstyle, their wardrobe, their gender, when they got beyond the things they owned in their life, their profession, when they got beyond the color of their skin, when they got beyond the, the, the place they live and got beyond the place they were sitting and got beyond time, is the moment they became pure consciousness and the brain all of a sudden got very organized. It got very coherent, and all of a sudden I started to see this. And different compartments of the brain started to talk to each other. They started to unify. They started to work together, and the person started to feel more whole. So then, if you're functioning in a high level of beta then, don't you agree then you're believing the outer world is more real than the inner world, and if those hormones are addictive, do you think you're going to want to close your eyes? You think it's a time to close your eyes and create? Your body's believing there's a predator around the corner, and people won't want to close their eyes and go within because they're believing that out there is more real because the emotions are driving that. How many people understand? And this is why it's, it's so difficult for people to believe in the inner world. Because if you watch the news and you watch the competitive sports and you watch all of that stuff, that soap operas or whatever people do, all of that is to convince you that that is all real. And if you're living in fear, you don't want to close your eyes and go within because you would be empowered then, wouldn't you? And you would be creating then, wouldn't you? So then if you're living in high beta then, it's an emergency place and most people will not want to change their brainwave patterns because they believe the intelligence of the body is believing that it's not a time to trust. It's not a time to go within. It's not a time to create. If you close your eyes, something could happen to you because in antiquity, you wanted to be aware of your environment. How many people understand? So then in the process of meditation then, when your body has been conditioned emotionally and you have problems in your environment, that is the time to go within.
take a moment and find your center. Inhale. Become aware of your breath. And exhale. attention, the space, in the center of your throat, in space. become aware of the energy of space around your throat beyond your neck Representation be where you're headed. Invest your energy into the future. Become the experience
and let the experience create the emotion. Can you teach your body emotionally how that future feels now? to a new state of being. Come on, open your heart and let your body respond to a new mind. Time to step in to that future now. What things will you do? What experiences await you? And how will they feel? Priming your brain and body into the future.
stay in the feeling. Remind yourself who you no longer want to be. What thoughts will you become conscious of that will never slip by your awareness today? What choices will you not make? behaviors will you no longer demonstrate what experiences will you stay away from and what emotions and feelings will you no longer embrace will cause you to return back to feeling like the familiar self. Invest your energy into the future, combining a clear intention with an elevated emotion. Come on, open your heart and change your energy. And when you change your energy, change your life. For whatever you broadcast into the field, 
is your experiment with destiny. vision of the future instead of the memory of the past means that you're ahead of your time. Take your hand and place it over your heart. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you're enjoying the content, you can access exclusive material by becoming a subscriber. Continue strengthening your mind by listening to our other episodes.